you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. It's Love Week on Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. I'm no Barry White, though. Uh, but we're going to talk about sex and what role it has in loving relationships. And of course, as in everything else with relationships, highly customizable, and people have different priorities in different aspects of uh, their primary intimate relationship. I'd like to hear from you, particularly if the role of sex in your relationship has evolved over the years, uh, and if sex is is a, an extremely important part of your relationship, I'd be interested in hearing why, what, what you see as the practical function it serves in the relationship, aside from the recreational joys of sex, and if it's something that is not really a big part of your intimate relationship, um, how that feels to you, and whether you feel anything missing or not, or whether it's just it's it's um, it just really doesn't serve an important function at this point. We're at 866-893-5722, or you can email us at atcomments at las.com. Please include your location and first name. Joining me is Kinsey Institute educated sex educator Emily Nagoski, who's author of Come Together, The Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections. Emily, thanks so much. Good to have you with us today. It's my pleasure to talk to you. Uh, so let's talk first of all about, uh, I'm presuming there's no right or wrong here, that relationships are almost infinitely customizable. Um, do you think that there's, there's any shoulds when it comes to sex in an intimate relationship? Absolutely, there are no shoulds. One of the things you hear sex educators say all the time is we need to stop shoulding on ourselves. There is no right or wrong. There's just what works for you we should spell in this that relationship out, yeah. and this season. Shoulding. Shoulding. You have good, you have, you have good you diction, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, do you think that there are a lot of couples who, for whom maybe sex has never been a huge part, or over the years sex has become less a part of it, that there are feelings of guilt or failure that, even if even if both partners agree and are okay with that, feelings that something's wrong with them doing that? Absolutely. There are cultural messages that surround us everywhere saying that sex is supposed to be a huge part of our lives. All of us are supposed to want, like, and have a lot of sex. And that's just not reality. For some couples, by choice, sex is not a priority in their relationship. Goodness knows we have plenty of other things to, to fill up our time and attention. And there are couples for whom sex is a priority and because our lives can be very stressful it has dropped down the priority list 
until life becomes more susceptible to creating an environment where our brains can access pleasure. We're talking with Emily Nagoski, author of Come Together, The Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections. Also with us, a frequent guest on Air Talk, John Sovic, a queer therapist and coach who specializes in working with LGBT plus communities. Uh, he works on creating sex positive and affirming relationships. John, so good to have you back with us. It's nice to be back. And it's fascinating, too, because as a queer person, I grew up in a world where there wasn't necessarily a framework, a design, a plan for how I was supposed to have relationships in my life. For a lot of cisgender and straight people, I mean, you get this manual and your brain basically says this is how it's supposed to be. And what that does is it opens up a really unique prospect to create our own version in queer relationships of sex and intimacy and love. And I think that's actually really exciting. Well, let's, and let's take one aspect. So for gay men, for example, are there certain cultural shoulds and shouldn'ts and expectations around sex within um gay male relationships? Well, I think there's a kind of a misunderstanding of kind of a, a hypersexualized understanding of gay male relationships. But just like Emily said, each person is going to decide what their relationship is going to look like, how they want to relate, how they want to bring sex into that relationship. For some people, sex is not a big part of it. For others, it's a really big part, and they have to learn how to negotiate, to talk about it, to understand each other's needs, and find a way to build a bridge of how sex is going to work for them and how they're going to connect it to love. All right. So I, I, I really want to hear from you as an AirTalk listener. This program will rise and fall on listeners sharing their firsthand experiences. So I know you might be a little shy in talking about sex and uh, the place that it holds in your relationship, but I'm really interested in getting your input on the importance of sex in your relationship. What do you, what do you see as, as the benefit it, it provides to your relationship, again, beyond just the pleasure of the moment? And if you're someone for whom sex is not a big part of your relationship, share with us what are some of the other things that maybe become uh, come to the fore instead of sex and you would think of as, as more definitive of, of ways of bonding in your relationship. 866-893-5722. That's 866-893. 935722. You can also email us at atcomments at las.com. Please include your location and first name. Jessica in Pasadena emailed, I didn't think sex was that important in long-term relationships until I had great sex. After being married for a decade, I'm now in a 10-year relationship with a man who's interested in my pleasure. And now I think sex is very important. I want to have sex with him a lot because... My pleasure is a priority as well as his. Having good sex with a partner is one of the fastest ways to intimacy for me. That's Jessica in Pasadena, 866-893-5722, or you can email us at atcomments at las.com. Please include your location and first name. Emily Nagoski, I wonder if you want to respond to what Jessica wrote to us. 
Yes, especially with reference to the idea of queer relationships versus heterosexual relationships. The research has been remarkably consistent for a couple of decades now that people in heterosexual relationships have lower quality sex, they have fewer orgasms, they have less sexual and relationship satisfaction than people in non-heterosexual type relationships. So I have an entire chapter specifically about the patriarchy. What, yeah, what's your theory about Yeah, your theory about that? So it's largely it's women's dissatisfaction that skews that number? It's sort of, but the way that the gender scripts that we absorb affect us are just as toxic to cisgender men in this system, but they have been trained that they're not allowed to notice the ways that they are dissatisfied, the ways they've been cut off from their longing for intimacy, their experience of loneliness, their longing for their own pleasure, as opposed to sex as a performance to prove their masculinity. Everybody is less satisfied in this system. And the more they fight against those rules and regulations, the better off they are, which a lot of queer couples have already done a lot of that self-liberation and relationship liberation because their relationship already violates so many of the rules that they were taught early in their lives they were supposed to follow. John? Well, it's interesting to you because I think the beautiful word that Jessica said is pleasure that she and her partner are searching for pleasure together. And that's part of what happens sometimes in long-term relationships. As Emily was saying, we do get distracted by life. We have children, we have jobs, we have stress, we have mortgages. And all of those things distract from this really amazing human thing that our bodies can do, which is experience pleasure. These wonderful chemicals get thrown out into our body when we have sex and we when we connect with someone through intimacy. And it's so important to have these conversations with our partner is what pleasures us, what pleasures you, and how can we make that a vital part of our relationship and use that as an expression of our love for each other. And it, it seems to me that, and again, I, I understand that uh, there are many relationships for which sex is not um, not something that really is, is a part of the relationship. I think that's fine. I think one of the advantages of sex is it... There is in the communication of the physical act or acts of sex, there is there is something that's bonding in a way other than just other physical manifestations or words. And and I wonder, Emily, maybe you can speak to that. What is the power of sex in its reinforcement of intimacy? The magic that can happen during an erotic encounter is this sense of your individual identity dissolving into a shared identity and even into a universal identity. And the chemistry underlying the experience absolutely is part of it. I will say it's not that different from experiences we can have dancing with other people or singing with other people, but because we are mammals, we have access to this particular route of experiencing a sense of union with the universe that uh, is really good for our health. And yeah, and, and there's a physical reaction that other other things that we do, it's not quite the same. I know there's runner's high. There are other different, you know, oxytocin-releasing things. But 
But sex is sort and of the pinnacle. Pleasure <laughs> specifically. Yeah. It's the sexual pleasure. People think it's orgasm. It's not. The higher the intensity of pleasure, the more we get those neurochemical reactions, whether That's or not orgasm happens. Very interesting. Emily Nagoski with us, Kinsey educated sex educator, author of Come Together, The Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections. John Sovic, a frequent guest with us on Air Talk, queer therapist and coach. He specializes in working with clients who are LGBTQ+. We're at 866-893-5722. That's 866-893-5722. You can also email us at atcomments at las.com. Please include your location and first name. Caleb in Pasadena emailed, I'm in a same-sex relationship, and I came to realize I'm on the asexual spectrum and have very little interest in sex. It required a conversation with my partner, but we've adapted, and both of us feel very connected and intimate without sex. Quality time together or other forms of touch, like hugs, cuddles, etc., is more satisfying for both of us than sex, and we feel close and very much in love. Caleb, thank you. John, I wonder if you had a relationship where, you know, one of the participants, sex was not, they were asexual, essentially, and the other sex was very important, um, do you think a relationship like that could work if if the one for whom sex was important was given freedom to have sex outside of the relationship, or is that generally not workable? So I think this is a conversation between the members in the relationship. <laughs> and it is important, and Caleb said this so beautifully, there are other ways that's just than sexual intimacy. There's, and they're in agreement on Yeah, this. and there's physical intimacy, there's emotional interest, there's having experiences together, there's sharing values together. And if you have a base of intimacy already in the relationship, then you could, with your partner or partners, have conversations about, do we need an open relationship as a means to satisfy whatever your sexual needs are, which are not the same as mine? And that is something that I think is unique in queer conversations, is that we, once again, because we don't have that rule book, have said, how can we work to make sure that everybody in the relationship is finding the pleasure they need? And if I could encourage my you know, cisgender straight couples to look at this model, this deep communication, this understanding of intimacy, and pushing against these social constructs of monogamy being the only authentic way to be in a loving relationship, I think a lot of us could be a lot happier and have much more fulfilling sexual experience that satisfy us and satisfy ourselves in our relationships. Now, are you talking about polyamory? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? Essentially, that there are couples that might benefit from it, but it's a taboo to explore that. It is, yeah. And those social constructs of taboo are all over everything we do here in the United States. And I sometimes think, and I hear it in Emily's voice, if we can shake up those taboos, we can have more honest conversations with our partners and then find the pleasure we are seeking. It's so scary. Uh, we'll continue. 866-893-5722. Or you can email us at atcomments at las.com. Sex is so loaded with so many different stresses and pressures. Uh, but, of course, the power of sex is profound. I'd love to hear from listeners. To what extent is sex a focal point or high priority in your intimate relationship or not? And has that evolved over the years? We're at 866-893-5722. Or you can email us at atcomments at las.com. Please include your location and first name. We'll be back with more with Emily and John in just a minute.
It's Air Talk on LA's 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, joined by queer therapist and coach John Sovic. And Emily Nagoski is a Kinsey Institute educated sex educator and author of Come Together, the Art or the Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections. I'd like to hear from you to what extent sex plays a role in your intimate relationship. Has it changed over the years? Is sex perhaps the most important part? And why? What what does it provide that makes that so important to the other aspects, the other bonding, the other ways you work well together as a couple? Or if sex has never been or has become a very low priority or not a part of your relationship, um, do you feel a loss at all in that or not? 866-893-5722. Karen in Silver Lake, Emailed, my partner and I are married 45 years. When our children were growing up and we were working, sex wasn't at all frequent. Now that we're retired and have time, we've rediscovered each other's bodies, and it's terrific. Toys are introduced. Wow. We now frequently enjoy an hour or more of sex time. Karen, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Dean in Pasadena emailed, sex is huge to me, but I can have the same great sex with a stranger or with my lover. Is that weird? As a heterosexual, is it me or do men need sex more frequently than women? John? I would suggest that that is another one of those beautiful mythologies that got put out into the world. I think the idea we need to understand is how we each, in our different genders, receive and experience pleasure and sex. And that's actually where the, where the differences occur. And I love the fact that um, Karen was talking about sex and aging and that they're taking their time with sex and exploring with sex. And that, to me, is another big piece of the puzzle. Um, for so much sexual energy here in the U.S. especially, we look at the idea of uh, achieving orgasm and penetration as what sex is about. About. And what Karen describes is this idea is, no, we're exploring, we're playing, we're bringing into the things to bring pleasure into the conversation. And so the same thing can occur, whether you're in a male-identified body or a female-identified body, that finding what pleasures you is actually where we can find where our sexual peaks and valleys are. And so this idea that men are driven more sexually than women, I think, is a mythology that we need to let go of and loosen up a little bit. Because once again, we're looking at a patriarchal story here. Emily Nagoski, your thoughts on this? Oh, yes, there is enormous variability, and it's not defined by a person's gender how much interest they have in having sex. If there is a gender difference, it might be that people who identify as women experience their sexuality as more sensitive to context, which is to say the external circumstances and their internal state. But again, there is enormous variability. Uh, But on the subject of aging also, there's a wonderful book called Magnificent Sex, in which Peggy Kleinplatz and Dana Maynard talk about their research studying people who have extraordinary, optimal sexual experiences. And when I heard Peggy teach, she says that the typical age at which her research participants had their first experience of optimal sexual experiences was 55 years old. Wow. Uh, so it takes time. Definitely, <laughs> I love that optimal sexual experiences. That's a great, a great. Is that like a, a numerical scale that they determine that, or how? How is it's a qualitative description. They yeah. ask for people who who experience themselves as having really exceptionally good sex, and they ask, so what does this sex look like? And it looks nothing like what the standard cultural narrative says. They don't talk about desire 
at all. They don't talk about how frequently they have sex. They talk about pleasure. Of course, they talk about intimacy and authenticity and vulnerability. This is sex where everyone involved is glad to be there and gets to show up as their full authentic self without shame or fear of being judged. We're talking with Emily Nagoski, author of Come Together, The Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections, and John Sovic, queer therapist and coach. Uh, Jess in Marina Del Rey, I understand you're a relationship coach. Welcome to Air Talk. Hi, thank you for having me on. Um, and I can agree with everything that the panelists, and I have actually read her book, Come Together, fantastic book. And I'm in a relationship with a woman who's substantially older than me. And sex is not necessarily about the, uh, the orgasm and the patriarchy rule that we've all been told. It has to do with how much attention can you pay to the person. And if you build up the trust and the communication first, yes, it can go hours at a time. And that's what it should be because it's all about building that intimacy together. All right. Jess, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. 866-893-5722. John and Carson emailed from a heterosexual married male perspective. I always had anxiety about an accidental pregnancy, uh, even with birth control. After uh, having the SNP recently, our sex life has flourished, I think because that fear is gone. John, can you can you speak to the things like this, because this is one of many different fears or concerns that can intrude in people being able to really give themselves over to sex. Mm-hmm. So there are so many barriers and stories that we were taught when we were growing up. This idea of having major anxiety about accidental pregnancy. This sounds like John is a responsible person and he's been taught this idea. But other things that come into play often too is uh, for males, the idea of size, the idea of performance, about being able to offer the right kind of pleasure. All of these fears and anxieties have been taught in how we are supposed to approach sex. In females, there's been this kind of submissive energy that's been mythologized in the world as how they become the most pleasurable thing to their partner. And all of these mythologies add up to create anxiety when we're just trying to bring two people together who want to have some fun, enjoy themselves, to celebrate their bodies. And if we can shed some of those things, and I think body image is a huge piece of the puzzle. It gets in the way for a lot of people having sexual intimacy. Probably even more so for younger people on social media all the time. Mm-hmm. And if we could release some of those barriers that we put into place and just see the spirit, the energy, the beauty of the person sitting across from that, and that that be the beginning of intimacy, and then learn from each other and find pleasure, and then take that into sexual connection, that dropping all of those preconceived notions that cause the anxiety are the ways for us best to connect with the people that we want to connect in love, intimacy, and sex with. Lindsay is line producing today. She's heard of people who were paralyzed with fear about sexually transmitted um, infections, that that is, is a, such a fear for them. And, and, you know, particularly, I think, for young people who grew up with the shadow of uh, HIV and AIDS, that that has been Uh, had a real chilling effect for many. And the thing is, all of these things can have a chilling effect at the same time that can just become awareness. If we are taking care of our sexual health, if we're a sexually active person, if we're, you know, having regular checks up and screenings, we can manage our, our exposure to these SDIs and we can have a very wonderful, positive, sexually active life. 
simply by being responsible for ourselves and being responsible for the partners we connect with. Kim in Malibu emailed, I'm thrilled Emily Nagoski's one of your guests. I'm currently reading her book, Come As You Are, her discussion about how anxiety and its triggering of our fight or flight response can put the brakes on sexual interest really landed with me and my experiences. This book is so insightful. Both my partner and I had a lack of family love and support, and we found for us sex plays a huge role in filling up those needs that we didn't get filled as children. It's a big part of our connection and bonding. I think we both value the closeness and intimacy in ways I haven't experienced with other partners. He also cares about my pleasure, and like your earlier comment, that's changed my level of interest in sex. In this relationship, we both care about each other's enjoyment. That's Kim in Malibu. 866-893-5722-866- 893-5722. We're taking your calls about the role of sex in loving relationships all this week. Air Talk devoting itself to love. It's Valentine's week. Austin Cross will be in tomorrow and Friday also talking about aspects of love. Today, it's sex. We'll be back in a minute. It's Air Talk on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, John Sovic with us, queer therapist and coach, and Emily Nagoski, who is author of Come Together, the Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections. She's a sex educator. Let me read more listener comments that are coming in. Our topic of sex and love. David and Van Nuys, I've been in a relationship with my husband for 27 years. As we got older, sex fell by the wayside. My partner has a tendency of taking this personally. Sex identifies him. For me, it's a new chapter in life. It doesn't make a difference to me. David, thank you for that. John, what do you do when there is um, differential interest in sex like that? And they've been together almost three decades. Well, it's interesting because I'm not sure if I hear a differential in sex in this conversation with David. I hear that maybe they have taken the priority of it off their list. And so it's interesting to me because I think it's really amazing having sex in a long-term relationship because what you do is you have someone you know really well. You have the ability to communicate better and you have a level of intimacy and trust that maybe someone who's just starting to date doesn't have. So why not build on those factors and figure out what kind of sexual life would you like to have for yourselves? And we've talked about Karen and she's like, uh, she was quite a bit older and she was talking about it's exciting. She's exploring. She's learning. It's exciting to read of her excitement. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing is to look at it. It's like, David, what do you want to create with your partner? Are there things maybe that you haven't communicated to each other over the years that would help you re-explore and reignite your sexual connection, knowing that you have those 27 years of history to trust each other in the bedroom? Uh, Let's take another listener uh, comment. Nancy in Long Beach emailed, I'm a lesbian, but I was also married to a man before I came out. In both long-term relationships with my ex-husband and ex-wife, the amount of sex we had depended a lot on how I was feeling about my partner at that time and if we were having problems in the relationship. In both, when I felt unhappy, the amount of sex we had 
decreased. Nancy, I, I really appreciate that. And I think that that makes sense. That's how, you know, for, for many of us, sex is linked to our feel, whether we're angry or feeling disconnected with uh, our partner. But Emily, I, I wonder, because sex can also be, um, pardon the expression, a lubricant in a relationship. It can help bring people together also. So is there ever a case to be made for prescriptive sex? Oh, prescriptive sex, no, but individualized exploration, yes, always. One of the questions I ask people to explore in my workshops is, what is it that you want when you want sex? Because it's not just physical release. Most people can do that on their own, and if they can't, there are whole workshops and books just about that. But what is it that you want when you want someone else to be there involved? And the number one thing people say is connection, is because sex itself, nothing bad happens to you physically if you don't have sex, but our health is impacted. We can sicken and die of loneliness. And for some people, sex is a primary way of experiencing connection in a relationship. People also talk about shared pleasure, the experience of being or feeling wanted, and of course, the freedom to stop paying attention to all the stressors and roles and identities that we have to fulfill in our actual lives. Close the door on all that and just focus on the pleasurable things happening in the here and now. It goes far beyond just wanting the physical experience and much deeper into our identities and our shared connection. We have uh, Jeannie and Cerritos who emailed, what about the impact of sexual violence experienced by so many? This continues to inhibit pleasure even in a long-term marriage. Any hint of pressure or force or demand sparks withdrawal. It's improved a lot over the years with an extremely sensitive partner, but never 100% disappeared. That's Jeannie in Cerritos. Emily? Yes, it is. One day I'll write a book about sex that doesn't have to talk about trauma, but that is not this book. Um, What happens in the brain when we experience sexual trauma is the mechanism that controls sexual response is the dual control mechanism that has an accelerator that responds to any sex-related stimuli, but then there's also a brake that responds to things that are perceived as threats. And when sex is used against us as a weapon, your brain learns that this sex-related stimulus that activates the accelerator also is a threat, so it also hits the brakes. So the process of healing from trauma is the experience of decoupling the sense that something sex-related is happening from the experience that it is a potential threat. And it's like unlearning a lot of phobias and people heal from trauma all the time. It is a gradual process, but it takes care and support in order for that healing to happen. And it does happen every day. Franya in Pasadena, we're very short on time, but please share with us your experience. Thank you. Um, I had I, I learned about oh, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, from a man who was advising some couples. Um, my partner and I were together for 48 years. And I would say the last five years or so, I used the technique that I learned from this, this guru, I guess you could call it. At any rate, he said, uh, sometimes it takes about five days to lead up to a uh, very satisfying sexual relationship, sexual experience for both partners. Um, for the last five years or so, uh, before my partner passed away, I used that technique of leading up to uh, intimacy, uh, 
I, I, I just did it for five days yeah. uh, with touching, uh, extra loving. It was very successful. Um, that's not to say we didn't have sex uh, times. For instance, he had a habit of waking up at two or three o'clock in the morning and uh, being very intimate. W- wanting wanting to, uh, yeah. really worked. Uh, Franya, we're, we're so tied on time, but I really appreciate your call. So, John, what, what do you think of of an approach like that, um, allowing the build over, say, five days? So I also happen to have a life as a yoga teacher, and we are looking at all kinds of different approaches to sex that are outside of the ways we've been taught that sex is supposed to exist. And it can be beautiful to make the sexual experience a, a, a longer experience, a, a thing of heightening sensation, uh, a piece of using pleasure in ways that aren't leading to orgasm all the time. And so, yeah, it can be an incredibly valuable thing. But I also say it this way. There are as many different kinds of sex as many times as you want to have sex. Sometimes it might just be for fun. Sometimes it might be a playful thing. Sometimes it might be a way to look into your partner and create intimacy. Sometimes it might be a planned out experience like this. You're actually going on a journey together. And sometimes it's just for getting off. And I think it's got to be okay that we understand it's not just one thing. And we and our partners get to design what it is for us. John, thank you so much as always. Always fun to have you on the program and sharing your expertise on this. Thanks very much. Thank you. John Sovic, Pasadena-based therapist, specializes in working with LGBTQ plus uh, clients in his practice. And Emily Nagoski, who's a sex educator and author of Come Together, The Science and Art of Creating Lasting Sexual Connections. Emily, thank you so much for coming on. You've got an open invitation. Look forward to having you come back. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's Air Talk on LAS 89.3. Just a reminder, Austin Cross is in for me tomorrow and Friday. Uh, I'll be back with you following President's Day on Tuesday, and I'll be with you, of course, for Film Week on Friday. And just want to let you know, Monday for President's Day, when we're off for the holiday, the two hours of Air Talk are totally devoted to big names, actors and directors of Oscar-nominated films. The interviews I've done thus far, you'll hear it Monday at 9 o'clock. Have a great day. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.